Couple of quick notes before we get the show started. In the previous episode, we accidentally mispronounced Raya and the Last Dragon. Also, I said Harold Sakata, the actor of the iconic Bond villain, Oddjob, had been arrested for murder. That is untrue, and it was in fact the actor who played the character of Random Task, which as you may know, is a spoof on Oddjob in Austin Powers. Back to the show. Hey folks, welcome to another edition of Tinseltown Thunderdome. Each episode, we pick a genre, director, or theme, and then have the top movies from that category square off in a deathmatch tournament to see which film emerges victorious. This episode, we toss the best of Walt Disney animation into the Thunderdome. As many of you already know, Disney's newest installment, Raya and the Last Dragon, is set to be released March 5th. Allow me the pleasure of introducing you to the rest of the crew that will judge this cinematic bloodbath. We have Pinocchio better known as Matt. I got no strings on me. I'm Pumbaa, but most people call me Cameron. And last but not least, we have Iago, aka Aaron. Glad to be here. For all our new listeners, a quick note about this series of grudge matches. We will start with the top eight films of Walt Disney Animation Studios, rank ordered based on the average of their Rotten Tomatoes percentages and their INDB scores. We then use that seating to pit the movies against each other in a March Madness style tournament, 1v8, 2v7, and so on in a flash quarterfinals round where the three of us take a quick vote to dispatch of the films that are weighed and found wanting. After the first round, we'll take a moment to mourn the films that didn't survive. The victors then move on to the round of four where we debate the films as they square off to see which two will make it to the final throwdown. The last movie standing is crowned the champion of Walt Disney Animation Studios canon. And since there are three of us, we'll never have a tie. Aaron, would you like to give us a quick intro into Walt Disney Animation Studios? I'd be glad to. From Mickey Mouse and Pinocchio to Simba and Aladdin, it really doesn't matter what generation you're part of. If you're alive, you're pretty likely to have experienced Disney's storied animated films at some point or another. From casual viewers to diehards, Disney, the wholesome, fun-loving studio, can be counted on to tell both classic and innovative stories. But darkness lurks, like a classic villain ready to strike at the heart of Disney and to raise uncomfortable questions about the legacy of its most hailed classics. Let's jump into the flash voting round. Matt, would you like to start us off with 4v5? Yes, for our first matchup, as our five seed, we have Pinocchio. 1940, a living puppet with the help of a cricket as his conscience must prove himself worthy to become a real boy. Our fourth seed is Aladdin, 1992. A kind-hearted street urchin and a power-hungry grand vizier vie for a magic lamp that has the power to make their deepest wishes come true. Great. All right, Matt. Who you got? I've got Aladdin. Excellent. Aaron. Pinocchio. Oh, I'm going to have to go with Aladdin. Okay, so now we're on 3v6. Our sixth seed is Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, 1937. A wicked stepmother won't stand for her princess daughter's beauty exceeding her own. When the stepmother's assassin can't go through with it, seven dwarf miners vow to protect the princess. And our three seed is The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, 1977. In this collection of animated shorts based on the stories and characters of A.A. Milne, Winnie the Pooh, a honey-loving teddy bear, embarks on quirky adventures. All right, Aaron, who you got? Winnie the Pooh. Oh, Matt. Snow White. Yeah, I'm also going to go with Snow White on this one. This is unbelievable. Rough run for Aaron. So now we're on 2v7. Seven seed is Beauty and the Beast, 1991. A prince 
Cursed to spend his days as a hideous monster sets out to regain his humanity by earning a young woman's love. Second seed, The Lion King, 1994. Lion Prince Simba and his father are targeted by Scar, Simba's bitter uncle who wants to ascend the throne himself. Okay, I'll go first on this one. Lion King. Matt, who you got? Lion King. Not going to lie, I want to go Beauty and the Beast, but I have to go Lion King on this one. Interesting statement. Yeah. I like it. We'll we'll talk about that. I like it. Now our final matchup, 1v8. Yeah, we we span the decades with this matchup. Our eighth seed is Fantasia, 1940, a collection of animated interpretations of great works of Western classical music. Our number one seed with the highest composite Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb score is Zootopia. 2016, in a city of anthropomorphic animals, a rookie bunny cop and cynical con artist Fox must work together to uncover a conspiracy. I will go first again on this one, and I will say Zootopia. Oof, this was not hard for me at all. It's Fantasia. Fantasia for me as well. Fantasia. Oh, wow. A quick upset of the number one. All right. So now before we move on to the final four, let's mourn any films that didn't make it out of the flash voting round. Well, if I'm not mistaken, Walt Disney Animated Studios, this particular division, which I guess comprises the cartoons that people most readily think of when they think of Disney. I think there are 58. I may have the number wrong. So there's a lot to mourn potentially. For me, the biggest film to mourn is among our eight. And that for me is Pinocchio. Well, you, you don't have to mourn something that you voted against. You should have just voted for Pinocchio. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, Aladdin versus Pinocchio was really painful for me to choose. Aaron, you got any? Yeah. Well, there's two, obviously, that I can cry about, but I won't. In fact, I'm going to avoid crying about those since I, I think there's room to discuss that maybe in the midst of these bringing down the others you voted for. I do want to mention movies from when I was a kid that were really, I don't know, they just like touched me in kind of adventure sort of way and were nowhere near the top eight. Jungle Book, Robin Hood, Sword in the Stone. I just love those stories as a little boy. I think as a if I had been a young girl watching those movies, they really wouldn't have been as special. But as a little boy, they really resonate this kind of classic take on, on adventure. Those are all from the same period. which is They are, they are. And then as an adult, I, I think the two movies that, that I... Very testosterone heavy period. The, the, the movies that I really loved... Weapon have been Moana and Emperor's New Groove. Both, mm. I mean, Moana is like universally beloved and I'm surprised it didn't make the top eight, honestly. I think IMDb tanked it. IMDb, there's some things going on with IMDb sometimes. I could be wrong, but... Emperor's New Groove is just like a eccentric film with some really unusual aspects to it and the humor is just so perfect. It's a fun movie to watch over and over again. Wow, you about named the entire canon of Walt Disney Animation. I'm surprised you didn't mention Princess and the Frog. I know you've mentioned that to me in the past. I like Princess and the Frog, but I think it's it's hard for me to, to raise that one only because there's some touchy aspects of that film for folks from Louisiana. There shouldn't necessarily be, but there are, so... Gotta talk about Zootopia. I think it's probably... I think it's a great animated movie. I I like Zootopia a lot. I think it's their most sophisticated movie they have ever made. I'm not going to say it's their best because that's such a loaded and controversial word. But I do think it's their most sophisticated. Definitely their smartest movie. But I'm not surprised that it was voted down. I do want to mourn Beauty and the Beast. Aaron, you mentioned a lot of male-heavy films. And it's funny because people always ask me, Wow, you're such a fan of Beauty and the Beast? 
And I'm like, yeah, something about it really. The music is the music is great. First of all, oh, the music's great. The characters. I, I think it's a female empowerment film as well. Like I, I, I think that movie was ahead of its time in a Definitely. way that a lot of other Disney films just fell right back into this princess with nice curves and whatever. It's like a weird, like I mean, Little Mermaid is like the most backwards film you could possibly imagine, <laughs> and didn't crack anywhere near the top of the list for that reason. So it was pretty close. It, but yes, I agree, Aaron. It was nice to see again. There was just a scene where Belle was explicitly told girls shouldn't be reading. And it's like, wow, that was the 90s. And the fact that we're talking about that from the movies from the 90s is sad. But that was ahead of its time. Chock full of male testosterone. And it's all yeah. about dressing that yeah. down. And best best villain song that I can think of, Gaston. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the music in general song. is incredible. Yeah. I mean, I, it's the most singable music. We saw a show in Portsmouth, this kind of live outdoor performance. And I'm like, this feels like it was Broadway first, animation second. And this is kind of a specific, I, I like the animated Mulan. I think it is an economically told story that has also good good music. There are a lot of Disney animated films that meander, even though they're only 80 or 90 minutes. Mulan, I think, packs a lot. Yeah, it's, it's, it's totally told. And it also righted a lot of the wrongs of Disney's attempt to try and tell an indigenous story that wasn't white-focused like Pocahontas. Yeah. So now let's get into round of four. Let's go with Fantasia versus Aladdin. The, it's another apples and oranges matchup. These are vastly different films. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to like start out by crushing Aladdin just because I didn't want to <laughs> pass the flash voting round. It's a great movie. As a half Middle Eastern kid growing up, seeing a movie like Aladdin made my day. I had a similar reaction when I first saw Aladdin. I feel like they all have a special place in my heart, but especially Aladdin because of my Middle Eastern background. Being able to see yourself on screen is nice. I don't have anything profound to say about Aladdin. I think it is an extremely fun movie. The narrative is well told. Robin Williams just lights it up. It is probably the movie I have seen more times than any other film, period. And that's just an accident of me having owned the VHS tape and not having owned any other VHS tapes at the time. I, I think that kind of makes me a bad judge because it's just something that I've imbibed. Uh, my four-year-old son knows a lot of the songs. I don't, again, I don't have any sort of profound personal connection or anything like that. I think it is an example of Disney animated studios, sorry, Walt Disney animated studios doing what it does well, not making any major errors that look bad years later, not sort of being kitschy or, or, or exploitative. I mean, which is surprising given that they manufactured a setting in like a kind of fantastical Arab seeming kingdom with a Persian seeming villain. There are things that are tropes that I think could be problematic, but they managed to stick the landing without uh, it's sort of more of a celebration than any sort of hitting fault lines and a uh, fairly basic story. But you have this the manic comedy of Robin Williams pumping life through the whole thing. And I don't know, it's enjoyable. And I'm sure I have more to say once you provoke me, but I uh, that, that's what I have right now. Potential controversies due to the themes and cultures involved. I don't know about you guys watching these movies on Disney Plus in preparation for this podcast. When I turned on, maybe I wasn't paying attention in the first movies, but when I watched Aladdin, I noticed at the beginning of the movie, Disney created a disclaimer. I don't know if you guys noticed that. It was just interesting to see. I've watched a lot of these movies. A lot of them have disclaimers and a lot of them need disclaimers. <laughs> I will say as a Middle Eastern man, I am not offended in any way by Aladdin. 
but I could see how Disney would put a disclaimer and how, you know, some people might find certain aspects of the film problematic. Yeah, hot take. The usage of the disclaimer for something like Aladdin is overkill. It's taking a step in a direction of sort of highlighting that no one can tell a story unless it's their story or has been endorsed by like some advocacy group in support of said story. I think that's that's going a bit too far. I understand why there's issues with films that are 70, 80, 90 years old at this point and like potentially treading some territory that as a society we've moved very far from. I just can't find what an Aladdin would fit the bill. I, mean, I don't want the discussion to be all about this, but I think the way you find it is, I mean, I, what you watch the live action Aladdin that just came out in the last several years, and then you watch this one, there are tweaks made to the songs. There are references, I mean, Robin Williams says, uh, you know, I'm the answer to your midday prayers. And then there's kind of a caricatured Islamic prayer where it's a little bit cartoonish. And they don't have that in the live action version. So it's like Disney's just being careful. But I think there's also something somewhat nefarious in that they put the disclaimer for a lot of films. There are some films where they maybe like maybe they shouldn't actually be airing it. I don't know. It's just like there there are some pretty egregious. And to sort of say, well, we have Aladdin, we have the Aristocats, we have these. They're all sort of the same. Like we're keeping these, um, but we're letting you know this was not okay then. It's not okay now. And sort of the more movies you put the disclaimer on, the more there's more you're kind of like. Exactly. Well, this is just like what happened, you know, rather than they don't have Song of the South on there. But if they did have the Song of the South on there with a disclaimer, they're saying Aladdin's like Song of the South, which is just not the case. Well, right. I mean, it's the, the disclaimer becomes this kind of like, does it add any value if there's no grading system? I mean, you know, if Aladdin's a one on the danger zone and, you know, Song of the South is off the charts, but Lady and the Tramp is like a six, you don't know that from the stock disclaimer they use. To be devil's advocate, I would rather deal with the controversy of a disclaimer than to have films like Aladdin completely omitted. Yeah. What do you guys think about the juxtaposition between Aladdin and Fantasia in that Fantasia is highly experimental and Aladdin is more of a conventional storyline? I really, I, I saw Fantasia, re- I saw it a long time ago, decades ago, and then I saw it recently and I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the exper- experimentation, found a path-breaking I've been putting myself in the shoes of like someone in the 1940s. So yeah, on on innovation and and, and blazing a trail, uh, definitely hand it to Fantasia. But it is, you know, it's a bit haphazard and there are strange moments where it's like, I don't know how much preparation went into, I mean, obviously the animation took a lot of work. Pretty spectacular animation too. Absolutely. For Walt Disney to do that as his third film, what a risk to take. Yeah. You're touching on one of the most important aspects of Walt Disney, which was that he was a creative genius who was willing to take risks. And it doesn't surprise me, in fact, that it's his third film. There had been no sort of template established. It was still this kind of what are audiences excited about? What are people interested in? What can I create? And I think it's it's a masterpiece. I think it's one of the best things Disney's ever done. I'm disappointed there's only been one sequel. I honestly don't think Disney has done anything as creatively ambitious as Fantasia since. Everything else has been following a basic template. And I don't mind that template. It's fantastic. And the movies are amazing. But this goes way outside of that basic template. And it is... Well, I guess Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, I was I was going to say that Winnie the Pooh is the closest thing besides Fantasia 2000. That's true. And I and I loved Winnie the Pooh and I couldn't believe it. And, and I came close to voting for Winnie the Pooh. 
but it, the, the, the other thing about Fantasia that's really special is it does some weird things with breaking the fourth wall. It does some really interesting things with merging animation with live action, which is sort of shocking that they were able to pull that off in such a seamless way. The Mickey Stakowski interaction is incredible. That you know the, the composer. It's a special film, and it's the kind of film that I wish that the sequel had been good. It wasn't. I wish that they had made a sequel within four decades, five decades of when the first came out rather than waiting so long. And I wish that they would make another. Like, I just, I want more of this. Why can't we get music that already exists married with this really special new medium or at the time was special and new and now is established to bring children and adults back into this world. And it was controversial. There's tons of nudity. It's like, it tells the story of evolution that is the right of spring is is a masterpiece my son loves that and i use it as an educational i didn't even know i was just like let's watch fantasia i'm doing a podcast i didn't tell him i'm doing a podcast he's four but i was like let's watch fantasia this is this really interesting thing and it came out when your great grandma was young and we watched it and he sat through the whole two hours the right of spring and the sorcerer's apprentice were his favorites he still talks about them all the time matt can you just give us a brief rundown of what fantasia is more than what was said in the logline Yes, absolutely. It is an orchestral concert set to you know, these animated visualizations for the most part. This cartoon, the cartoon, it sounds vulgar to call them cartoon, like animated representations of the music. I think in one or two cases, there was music composed for Fantasia, but correct me if I'm wrong. But otherwise, they're, they're, these are very well-known pieces, including a Nutcracker Suite, Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker Suite, of Stravinsky's uh, The Rite of Spring. Guys, correct me if I get any of these. Night on Bald, Bald Mountain is, is a masterpiece yeah yeah that's the final the finale and and that is how dark is that how dark is super that? dark and when i'm watching I, I with my four-year-old i was like oh maybe this was i mean this is essentially like dante's inferno but he was super interested in the, the themes and stuff uh, i basically told him the whole divine comedy dante alighieri uh poetry which i don't know if it's explicitly supposed to be referenced but it reminded me of that and it's interesting so you know you mentioned that most people probably haven't seen it recently but um, I would imagine that the vast majority of Disney fans have seen The Sorcerer's Apprentice. That yes. is such, uh, it's so inextricably linked with Mickey Mouse and magic. It's got this kind of, I don't know, like a golly gosh, I'm Mickey Mouse. And there's it just, it, everything about it captures what the magic of Disney is. And the hat is still there at Magic Kingdom. That Mickey Mouse wardrobe choice is probably his second most worn thing. And it's just from like a just this one clip, which even, I mean, now watching it now, I'm like, oh, this is about climate change. But it's, I mean, it's not, it wasn't obviously, but it's, it's, it's such a great um, little allegory that can apply to so many things from the story of Faust to climate change specifically. I mean, he he basically unleashes technology that then metastasizes to the point because he's not monitoring it yeah. <laughs> where there's where's a flood and, and, and is about to engulf his entire world. So, I mean, it's, it's so on the nose, but of course, long before. And then God comes in, to, comes in to chastise him. Yes, exactly. And, and I love that the, I mean, it, has there ever been animation that matches the music any better than mm. that? Like it just, how perfect the whole thing marries up. That's, that's the other thing is like the animation in Fantasia is like light years ahead of the animation that follows it for many, many, many years. 
Like a lot of it, yeah. you know, a lot of the uh, the animation that's employed up until the very modern period in Walt Disney Animation Studios is this kind of static background with characters yeah, moving in the front. That is not Fantasia for the most part. It is like the full work animation, you know? It's like very little of that static screen going on. I think a, a big part of Fantasia that is different from, it sets itself apart from the rest of the canon is it, its abstractness. Of course, the film itself is experimental, but even the stories within them that are conventional have abstract motifs to their animation, which you don't really see in other films. You might see pretty colors uh, and whatnot, but there's no artistry in sort of the abstract realm that I can can really remember off the top of my head. And it's not like Warner Brothers doing their like Wagnerian operas a few decades mm. later, right? I mean, this is like, this is beautiful. It's not some kitschy take yeah. on classical music. It's whimsical too. I mean, the, the, the breaking of the fourth wall, I mean, the, the one moment that really sticks out is uh, someone knocks down the chimes. Yeah, yeah. And the composer, because they have the composer and they also have the conductor. And and, and, uh, and it's just kind of like, what's going on? What's going on right there? <laughs> I mean, it's really uh, goofy. Yeah, I think, I think I mentioned earlier the composer and I meant to say the conductor. And I was really wanting to mention the narrator who is a total it's 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 a throwback narrator i mean the narration is is kind of what's sick. his story do you know the story i i should well, research the story on the narrator and i don't i mean his name is deems taylor i know that okay. and he's definitely a product from another era even when he tells a joke it, it sort of looks like his his laugh doesn't really match his like mm. nerves he's he's just he's built differently he's built from this era when everything's delivered deadpan but it works it actually works in contrast to all the animation and the, the kind of mickey Mouse. it does vibe. he looked i mean he looked like he was a little bit on loan from berlin to me the way he like <laughs> I, I felt a bit uneasy about him but it was also i don't know i mean maybe i'm just watching too many indiana jones type uh you know pulp things and it's 1940 and this guy is like has a weird sense of humor without laughing. <laughs> How do you think they handle, I mean, we're, we're comparing a very experimental film against a more conventional film, um, but Aladdin, you know, tells its story with great skill. And I'll stand by that. I think uh, Aladdin was more entertaining for me than Fantasia. This is sort of like my point with Zootopia that I think Zootopia is in a lot of ways, their most sophisticated, but not necessarily their most entertaining. I thought Fantasia was equally in that echelon of sophistication. But with Aladdin, you know, you're not getting that level of sophistication, but you can't have a film with Robin Williams as a floating genie and not be entertained. Oh, well, I mean, it's extremely entertaining and I think meaningful as well. Not necessarily soul-stirringly deep, but I mean, it's one of my favorite Disney animated films for sure. Probably one of my favorite overall films in terms of entertainment value. I, when I'm talking like, you know, among 200 films, but yeah. I mean, this is me being pretty pompous. Disney is a really well-told story that is efficient. It's funny. It's catchy. It's all the things you want it to be. Wait, did you mean Aladdin? What did I say? You said Disney. Oh my goodness. Sorry. <laughs> Aladdin. Thank you. Thank you guys. That is the power of branding though. There, there we go. It's all, they're, they're synonymous. Disney, Aladdin, they're all, all of it's Disney. No, but, but Disney does such a good job with those character traits of a film. And yet I find this attempt to do it differently more appealing. And it's probably because I'm an adult. 
because when I watched it with my daughter, who was very sick, she loved Fantasia, but she was not nearly as engaged as she was with Aladdin. So is it better to put Fantasia on a pedestal and let that be like admired from afar? Whereas like Aladdin is a toy that you want to play with and have fun. It's an actual thing you can engage with. Whereas like Fantasia is this kind of piece of art that you don't want to touch. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting way to look at it. Let's do what we got to do and vote one of these out. Matt, let's go with you first. And then Aaron, you'll go first next time. Matt, who you got? I I pivoted and I'm going to vote for Fantasia. I will vote Aladdin on this one. I suspect I'll probably lose on this. You suspect wrong. I have come to the other side. And I think the (laughs) reason why is I just made this realization. (laughs) I made this realization as I was as I was talking through it, that the reason I like Fantasia so much is because I'm not a kid anymore. And that's sort of depressing. And I'm voting Aladdin. So now to the next matchup, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves versus Lion King. Who wants to take this one away? I'll jump in. I I, I have to tell you, I'm really disappointed that this is the matchup. What are you disappointed that wasn't in this? Oh, I really wanted Winnie the Pooh to be lining up against Lion King. And that would have been a more interesting conversation for me because I find a lot of faults with with Snow White, which are so easy. I mean, the flaws are just, (laughs) you know, it's it's age. It's the way it's a punching bag. It's just so there's so many things. But I, I find a lot of problems with Lion King. I have this really deep seated frustration with anything that looks like monarchy and hereditary monarchy. And nothing is more hereditary monarchy than Lion King. It's like, we all come from the jungle. We all come from Africa. And it's so natural to have a king that rules and passes it along to his kid. It's hard for me to extricate myself from that sentiment whenever I'm thinking about Lion King. And the story, like I I have sympathy for Scar in a way that I don't (laughs) for most villains. (laughs) Oh, I get that. Jeremy Irons also has a persuasive voice. Of all the villains in Disney, he is a villain where you're like, yeah, this is kind of it's kind of messed up. Like, I don't understand why. I mean, was there some sort of criteria for why Simba's getting the throne? Why are we why are we all prostrate before this little baby lion? I, there's something mystical about it. I, I just it, all of that felt wrong to me. And I, I even hesitate to have my kids watch. it. I'm like, we live in a democracy. This is not how it works. Donald Trump can't be king. Well, Thomas Jefferson, unfortunately, we're not going to have this debate in the hundred in the utopia of Hundred Acre Wood today. But yeah, so we're we're, we're pitting the monarchy against the patriarchy in this matchup, um, and it <sighs> uh, it's interesting. Uh, that has always been un- a little bit unsettling to me about Lion King, but I like all the Hamlet aspects of it. I mean, Scar in the beginning is sort of presented almost like he may be complicated, but he does such a repugnant series of things to this little boy who's his nephew that he is like one of the most irredeemable Disney characters, despite the fact that he has a lot of justification in the beginning. So I think that is a squandered opportunity, but still I think this film actually has more thematic depth than something like Aladdin, which also does not question monarchy. But Snow White is something totally different, so... (laughs) I think these are two heavyweights and flagship movies of the Disney brand. I was like very intrigued by this matchup. I think they both have some definite thematic issues. However, that has actually done very little to my viewing experience. 
that isn't to say when I rewatch these movies, you know, making a joke every now and then in my head at things that would not fly today. Pretty much Snow White at every plot point. <laughs> um, but I still love it. <laughs> it is so quintessential Disney, for better or for worse. And there was a movie that I watched the other day. Uh, oh, no, you know, it was it was Sex Education. And the male lead does a autopsy of Disney and how it's this horrible, flawed representation of so many things. But, you know, primarily gender roles and female empowerment and how Snow White is just the epitome of this horrible message and then the female character in sex education who this guy just explained this to in a very like mansplaining way she responds in an unexpected way by saying well i like those stories I find those fun and I can take it with a grain of salt and I can take it with my understanding and still pull something away from it and that's kind of how I experienced it watching it again most recently well, it started a, a long process of uh, empowered stepmothers who are villains. What's that? What's that hang up about? There's got to be at least what five or six movies where the stepmother is doing some terribly awful thing. Well, three right off the bat. I mean, Snow White, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty. I, I those come to mind right away. Snow White in particular, maybe it's because I have nostalgia from when I was watching it as a little kid. And it was one of the first, I think it was the first Disney movie I ever saw. The scenes with the animals has a very special place in my heart. I could watch those birds make a pie on repeat. There is something so satisfying to it. And I think that is a thing now <laughs> that like people go on TikTok and Instagram and just watch satisfying videos. And that would qualify as one for me. I just find it super cute. Just like a heartwarming sextus film. Well, I, it, <laughs> you know, for all the things you say that are positive about Snow White, let me give a few positive things about Lion King. There, there probably is no better film at capturing this circle of life and there's no other way to say yeah. it my children were the the impression that they took away from that film was the circle of life they talked about that they internalized that uh, had questions about that that's powerful that is a, a movie changing children's lives in terms of how they see their place in the world and that's significant so you know for all of its monarchical distaste. There's this really wonderful flavor of how the world is comprised of all these various species of animals that are interconnected. And, and it's there's this kind of harmonious aspect to it that that's really pleasant. The music is amazing, touches on all the right kinds of characters. It's it's a brilliantly done film. Not to be this like efficiency nut, but the, the economy of storytelling in there in Lion King is also incredible. I mean, just... And that was even more evident when the remake was made. Yes, when the re you add a half hour to it, um, the Favreau live action, and 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 it loses steam, and, and it's just anyway. I also the music in like I mean, it's packed and amazing, like like Beauty and the Beast, but thematically, not just thematically different, but 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 getting to a whole different set of musical roots that fit with the film's setting and, and themes, and just all that aside, just great music that just gets in your blood, and 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 you you. Don't forget it for decades. Uh, it's first first time stoners were in a film as well. I mean, Timon and yeah. Pumbaa are absolutely 
excellent previews of what's going to happen for an entire generation. There's a lot of subtext to, to Lion King that that are interesting to explore. And uh, how about some like pretty explicit stuff, like the uh, crazy Hitler high stepping hyenas? Yeah, yeah. Das Führer is up on the like rock looking over them. I mean, you're right about Scar that like at the beginning you have some sympathy, and then as the film progresses, you're like, whoa, okay, this guy's taking it very dark. There's also you know I I don't know would, would people care if you know there's this kind of as we're being more diverse and inclusive we're also projecting that onto animals as well so you know a lot of my kids stories now the books that we're reading sure. take animals that are classic villains like snakes and otherwise and try to make them more palatable mm-hmm. and you know lion king does this in spades where it takes the animals that are less appealing and makes them the bad guys and then the animals that are kind of cute or more appealing are the positive good guys you know the hyenas is the bad guy you know uh, there's this kind of like attitude about you know they just the way they depict all the like herbivores for the most part uh as these like very graceful elegant peaceful animals and yeah it's just interesting you mentioned subtext and there's i think there's a lot of interesting things that could be discussed just on having simba interacting with timon and pumbaa and that whole relationship of trust that they have to build that they're that simba just simply won't eat them like i would love to sit down with you know like a five-year-old and say what do you think about that i would just love to know what was going through their minds well be careful what you wish for you can have my daily experience which is a meaningful one, but yes. Um, except you can't just have the five-year-old and ask them. They ask you over and over, which is meaningful. But um, yeah, again, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> wait, wait. When I went back and watched Lion King again, I have to tell you, all I could hear was John Oliver's voice in Zazu. That was the yeah. best pick for the live action you could possibly have made. No, that was a great selection. One of the few good things about the reboot. Oh, burn. I will go first. I'm going to go with Lion King. Aaron, what you got? Yeah, for the lack of things I said about Snow White, you know it's Lion King. I mean, as much as I like my pies baked by birds, I I am going to go with Lion King as well. I feel like we didn't really give Snow White much of a shake, but I, I mean, sorry. We have Aladdin versus Lion King. All right, who wants to take us away on our final throwdown? These films are only a year apart, um, so I guess this is our Disney golden age. The 90s is probably their greatest era, or their greatest decade, let's say that. You know, they had Aladdin, Lion King, you could essentially say Little Mermaid, because it was 89, Beauty and the Beast. It, it kind of went off the rails in the early 2000s, but yeah, this is quite the quite the pairing. I think you're right. I think there was a 10-year stretch where... They hit a lot of home runs. I think even Pocahontas is in there. Pocahontas, it's, yeah. It's you know it hasn't aged well considering you know the way we view it, it as controversial a, you know, at the time too. But yeah. it's true, absolutely. But oh, Mulan, Mulan, Mulan. Yeah, that's right. I, I think I'm surprised Aladdin was in the mix, and I'm surprised that it's up against a Titan with Lion King. I feel like if you asked a lot of people to name you know, their top five Disney films, you'd be hard pressed to find anyone who didn't include these two movies in their top five. So I should be less surprised, but just knowing the way we, we, you know, talk about films, I'm surprised they're there. Let me throw something out there. I feel like the women, the female characters in Lion King are so subservient to the male characters in story that that takes it a notch down for me compared to Aladdin, where you can easily argue that Aladdin, Jasmine 
and the genie are sort of co-protagonists. You know, it's called Aladdin, but they're all trying to succeed in a positive way. I don't think you can say that about Nala. I mean, there is a moment where she's under Scar's rule, but it's not centered on her in a significant way. In contrast, Jasmine is a trapped woman in this golden princess cage who is surrounded by unpleasant men for the most part and a goober for a dad and is trying to like figure out a way out of this trap and here she has this prince charming show up in aladdin who is just trying to dress himself up literally as a prince and you know a knight in shining armor so to speak and she doesn't want anything to do with it so it's a very mature take for that era not necessarily today but for that era and i and i find that find that appealing and my sister it was you know a huge part of her development was this idea that jasmine was a strong woman so it's kind of shocking that when there is a strong woman it, by the way how why are there no mothers in disney where are the mothers it's a, it's a disney? strange omission if they are they're evil or or <laughs> neglect so- or neglecting they're dead and replaced by a very jealous stepmother yeah. yeah. I mean, I think there's the mom in Mulan, but she is like very old fashioned and could be seen as trying to marry. Yeah, her could be seen as like a, a negative in her life. Isn't Mulan trying to be like her dad as well, like or to step up in the dad's place? Taking it yeah, in her his place. Yeah. So it's the, the whole that's that whole thing is strange. And they don't even mention that Jasmine doesn't have a mom. That's not addressed at all. No, I mean, why well, th- is it? Not? That's because the movie's about Oman. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> sorry, that's. That's very specific. I lived in, for the listeners. I lived in Oman for a year, and um, it is, I think, Agrabah. Um, in terms of, I mean, like aesthetically, there are things, and then the Sultan. Uh, it's one of you know two countries today that still has a Sultan, and of course, Agrabah doesn't really exist. Going on a tangent, I want to stop right there. Which soundtrack do you find more? Okay, let me two questions. Which one do you think is better, and which one do you think has a better impact on the film? Where's a quarter? I need to like flip it because the, this is like they're they're both so intricately woven into the films, and and all I can think of is these classic scenes where the music's playing in the background, and you know you've got a carpet flying through a nightscape, or you've got two star-crossed lions. <laughs> it's really so, and they're very similar in that way. Yeah. A mm-hmm. lot of the the centerpiece music is very similar. You know, you've got the mm-hmm. the genie song, and you've got the Timon and Pumbaa song. You've right. got the villain song and the villain song. It's like it's there's a lot of yeah similarities. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's definitely formulas being employed. Well, one has Elton John, so those songs are stand are standalone, and and you do still hear them on the radio. You don't hear the Aladdin songs. I'm the radio. I'm you. Whatever, whatever. Stand in for the Joe radio. Biden on the radio. Yeah. Got the record player yeah. out. Well, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm only five years behind him. It seems in my. I'm so least, glad we've referenced you know. both recent presidents, one current, one former. I'm glad you are glad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you asked two different questions and the ones I'm going to answer. I think Lion King has the better soundtrack. I think Aladdin has the one that enhances and, and enlivens the film better. But those aren't the questions you asked. No, I think that, that does yeah, answer the that question. Yeah, absolutely. Well, answers one yeah. and then I change one. Because <laughs> I think this is the thing for me. As I was rewatching a lot of these Disney movies and from my memory of the movies that we didn't even rewatch for this podcast, I love musicals in all their forms. But I have an affinity for musicals that incorporate their music in such a seamless way that is 
integral to the story. It doesn't seem ham-fisted in there, and it doesn't seem like an aside for the kids or for some trivial form of an entertainment. And that isn't trying to be a slight towards any of those other films that I'm hinting at, but I feel as though Lion King... And this, okay, and this is like a segue to my other point. The music plays a part in this, but Lion King is one of the few movies where I have a sense of catharsis and I actually get emotional. And I watched Lion King for this podcast and I was getting very, very emotional. And I did not feel that way about any of the other movies. Now, I don't know if that has anything to do with my personal experiences. I don't know if seeing Simba, I mean, of course, the the death of Mufasa is heartbreaking for anyone. But um, I think even just seeing Simba stride up Pride Rock in a thunderstorm with his land ravaged by Scar's regime was just I there was such earned catharsis in that. And I think that was incredibly powerful. I'm still on the fence between these two. Yeah, I, me too. I'm going to jump way back and say that the most emotion that I've had for any of these films was Winnie the Pooh. I know that sounds ridiculous, but no, it's, there's something there. And uh, and I, I still think that I probably should have voted Beauty and the Beast because the more I think about these these films, that feels like the most perfect of Disney films. But I'm going to somehow marry those into Aladdin and say that I think there aren't a lot of deeply emotional moments of catharsis in Aladdin. If you, if you get beyond this, I think rather superficial quality of the film, you know, it's sort of like everything kind of happens on the surface, even though there's a lot more there. There's this, this, the genie is kind of a very sad character. It's a character who like deserves a lot of, if it wasn't Robin Williams, who we all laughed at until he was gone. And then we were like, oh man, this is a very sad character. It's like, actually there's a lot of parallels with his real life. Yes. Could we have picked a, you know, a better character there? And then, and then the vizier Jafar is so representative of this like Machiavellian rise to power and an attempt to sort of betray the trust of the public. It's kind of a deepness under the surface in in Aladdin, whereas everything in Lion King is right there. It mm. is it's deep, but it's like deep and in your face. You're like, it is the circle of life. Mufasa is in the stars. Rafiki is a seer and he sees that there's a red circle around Simba's head. He's alive. Like everything is just spelled out for you. Whereas in Aladdin, there's some layers to it. It's, it's a bit more of an onion to peel back. I mean, it is so interesting to see Mufasa, who's this unassailable, perfect King. And then you have the Sultan Jasmine's father, who is, I mean, he's benign, but he's such a buffoon that he cannot see he he basically lets this malign force take control of the sultanate, if not for this kind of swaggering guy off the street who happens to find, happens to be chosen as a pawn by this bad force and, and then gets this magic land. Like their kingdom or their sultanate would be totally screwed. And I think the movie is aware of that. And I find that more refreshing. And again, this maybe this is too political, but it just like recognizes the the the, the weakness and, and problems with, with the monarchy and how easy it is to manipulate. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's a total criticism. It's yeah, a criticism yeah. of it. I mean, and it's this guy who's a, a street rat who's working his way up to try and prove that he's worthy of this like elite, royal, sophisticated group. I don't know. Like uh, th- that 
touches something for me in a way that like watching the crown, I mean, Lion King is not quite the same. <laughs> Aaron, who do you got? I'm like a <laughs> Phoenix here and Aladdin, Aladdin is going to take it from me despite having not voted for it in the flash rounds. Matt, who you got? Well, I, I was for Aladdin before Aaron was for Aladdin. And then I was against Aladdin when Ala- when Aaron was against Aladdin. And now I'm for Aladdin again. What a what a turn. I'm going to vote for Lion King, but I have lost. There you have it, folks. Aladdin. I mean, this is only our second second episode, but to have the number one seed go out in the lightning round and then to have and then to have a film that was not unanimously picked and is seated fourth to then win the Thunderdome. Cinderella, it was a Cinderella story. It was a Cinderella story. It was, yeah. I was waiting for someone to say it. <laughs> no, I didn't know before we started this podcast that I was even going to vote for Aladdin in the first round. I was really torn between Aladdin and Pinocchio. So. If Beauty and the Beast had not been paired against Lion King, I think that yes, would have yeah. been would have gotten a lot further. <laughs> I still think it would have won for me. <laughs> yeah, I would have picked Beauty and the Beast if it had been against anything but Lion King. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I will say that this this has proved to me any skepticism I might have had before we started this podcast about whether or not I would stand firm with my choices from before or not. It's all gone. I, I am. <laughs> yeah. I am incapable of sticking to anything. You Your guys character is much weaker than you, you evaluated previously. <laughs> well, there you have it. Aladdin is the victor of the Walt Disney Animation Studios Thunderdome. We look forward to watching Raya and the Last Dragon. Next up, video game movies. With Mortal Kombat and Free Guy on the horizon, video game movies can take a few forms. Looking forward to it. Got my thumbs ready. Our theme song is by David Huck. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Tinseltown Thunderdome. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you find your podcasts. Make sure to like and subscribe and leave a review to let us know how we're doing. Until next time, thanks for listening.